They say everyone has a book inside them, and often that's where it should stay. I really can't help but be aghast that the author wants you to pay. But we're just a pair of absolute bookends who don't want to be like us. So if you want to read, pick some quality literature rather than this dross. Hello, welcome to Two Absolute Bookends, where we read books so bad you should burn them before reading. This is episode 42, the season finale for Two Absolute Bookends. And joining me on this momentous occasion, hovering next to me in a tank of nutrient-filled liquid, is Louis. Hello. I can't believe it. Sorry, 42. That's a lot. It is. I, Jesus Christ. <laughs> to be honest, I thought we'd get bored and stop long before this point. <laughs> but you can't get bored with the way the stars fall. Pretty much. And likewise with with the Eye of Argon and Sonic High School, they are not good, but compelling. <laughs> compelling reading. All three of them. But yeah, this time we're going to be reading Chapter 30, the final chapter of The Way the Stars Fall Rebirth by Lewis Stockton. Support the author and buy the official release. <laughs> now, for this finale, I was planning to do something a bit different. I am going to, of course, summarise this chapter as is normal, but beforehand I want to do the big book summary finale. Just so we can see how we got here. That's like giving giving every every chapter a sentence just so we can you know come into this with a you know because you know we've been doing this for years, Louis. You we know, I want literally it all... have. Yeah, that is depressing. It's, it's. I mean, as soon as this is uploaded, I'm going to be hanging myself. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm fashioning but you... a noose already. Exactly. You've got to be. I mean, yeah. You don't listen to these anyway, so you're free to go as soon as the as you've sent me off your half of the recording. <laughs> That'll be fine. <laughs> but you know, so I know the things that happened in chapter one might not be super fresh in your mind. You know, that's understandable. We we have lives such as they are. So I thought just so that we can go in and talk about the whole book, I'd do a quick rundown of everything that happened chapter by chapter. Are you are you ready, Louis? Do you have your little notepad out? I'm excited. You... Yeah. And scared. So... <laughs> that is the correct feeling for this momentous occasion, Louis. So, chapter one. We're introduced to Jack on the Tranquility. Uh, the ship gets wrecked by a micron of dust, if you recall. Good times. Y you get a little bit of history about Jack and the Tranquility, most of which doesn't make sense when lined up with later things, but that's fine. Uh, we get a description of the Taurus space station, which was literally just ripped from Wikipedia. Or maybe Wikipedia just ripped it from the book. I guess we don't know. But either way, <laughs> there's some funny business going on there. They land in the Taurus, and Jack walks into a lift and meets Toner. Chapter 2. He talks to Toner in the lift. Such banter. He meets with Fargus... The, if you recall, the avuncular 98-year-old person that runs the station. I think personally one of my favourite characters of yeah, the entire book. Yeah, it's a crying shame that we, that we don't get him anymore after like nine or something, eight. But yeah, and, and basically he has a jolly old chat with Jack and he sends him off to... To do her to to basically take this special cargo, Jack complains because you know he want because he's like, man, we've been away for fifty eight weeks already. Just want to point out, and this is on Deep Space Trade Voyage Station fifty eight. I just realised that while I was flicking through the book, like. 
They're on 58 and they were working for 58 weeks. He just really liked 58 when he was writing that chapter. It was a number he was fond of. Yeah, it was. But yeah, but basically he talks Jack into it. Jack agrees. You get a bit of history of the station as well. And then he finds out that he's taking Toner with him. Chapter three. They leave the Deep Space Trade Voyage Station 58. Jack stalks Toner in the corridors, scares her, takes her to the canteen for quam pie. They fi- then they find out they're getting sucked into the Yakutan rift wormhole because of the warp drive, and then they use the warp drive to escape. It doesn't make sense. They then find out, in Chapter 4, that the ship has been changed into a battleship and the wormhole is gone. There is a lot of techno babble that explains nothing, even in story. They decide to head back to Deep Space Trade Voyage Station 58 to talk to Fargus. Chapter 5 He returned to the station. Despite the fact it's clear that the station is fucked up and Fargus is a completely different person that's basically threatening to kill them all, Jack decides it's a good idea to land the ship in the station and meet him in person. He proceeds to get pimp-slapped by a 98-year-old man and thrown in a prison cell. Chapter 6. Jack learns a little bit about this alternate universe by talking to insurrectionists in the cell with him, tries to think of an escape plan, fails, and is eventually saved by Hollister. Jack decides he has to risk everybody's life by trying to save Toner. Chapter 7. Slapstick comedy rape routine where four people try to rape a tied-up Toner, end up fighting each other, with Toner eventually killing them all. I completely (laughs) forgot about that chapter. (laughs) And that's why we're doing this. <laughs> she then heads off to find help with a rifle and a working belt. <laughs> this is important. <laughs> Chapter 8. Our plucky team Shanghai and Imperial in the corridors and gets him to take them to Toner. They meet Toner in the corridor, now with a pistol and a broken belt. She immediately kills the Imperial in cold blood, which is never mentioned again, and everybody stares at Toner's pants with, I quote, similar slack jaws. <laughs> they uh... then end up in a firefight to get back to the tranquility, with Jack making stupidly dangerous rescue attempt after to- a stupidly dangerous attempt to rescue Toner after she falls over, and they leave the station. <laughs> Dem similar slack jaws. <laughs> Chapter 9. They all run away, pursued by the ships for hours. Then eventually Jack decides to fight them and immediately destroys them with no effort at all. He then decides to follow the prisoners who want to go to the insurrectionist base. Tona comes to Jack's room where where he takes advantage of her fragile emotional state and they fuck. Montage of them getting to know each other better and they arrive in the system of the insurrectionist base. So that's where the red-headed fuck buddy saga starts on the ship. Chapter 10. We change to to meeting Tiberius and Amelia aboard the Turmoil. They worry about what the Imperator wants and news about the tranquility that have been spread. Tiberius travels down to the Imperial Basilica, sits down for dinner, and considers stealing the cutlery. The Imperator then gives him the assignment of capturing the tranquility with a fleet and a special forces unit loyal to the Imperator. This is never mentioned again. (laughs) (laughs) Back on the turmoil, Amelia says that she knows where the tranquility is, and they depart. (laughs) Chapter 11. After communicating with Space Sonar, somehow, the tranquility is given the location of the insurrectionist base and given clearance to land. After shuttling down, Jack is punched in the face by the insurrectionist leader. 
who rightly pointed out they just drove a massive wanted battle cruiser right to the like secret base of the insurrection. There is then a Mexican standoff as everyone is mad about the punching, but Jack manages to defuse the situation while dabbing at his bleeding nose with a hanky. It works, and they all head to their quarters to discuss the situation. Chapter 12 After sex with Tona 12 days later, the commander asks to see Jack in person. She then proceeds to mock Jack, then proposition him to become her partner, both sexually and politically, and take over the universe together with the tranquillity. It turns out Tona had been transmitting to the Imperials after being bugged back in Chapter 7, and the Imperials start blasting the base, the insurrectionists try to capture Jack and the Tranquility, somehow Jack manages to escape and get on the Tranquility, the action scene is like a sentence and like all passed over, they then escape from the battle. Tiberius sees them, but decides to let them go, reasoning that they can always catch them later, despite the fact they are fleeing into the infinite area of space, and catching Jack was literally his only mission. How much he fucked up here is never mentioned again. Chapter 13. (laughs) Tona reassures Jack after five men died in a fight. She gets the tracking chip removed and she gives Jack a massage. Brief brief change in perspective back to Tiberius, who says the insurrectionists were crushed, though the leader escaped, and they know the rough direction the tranquility went in but have lost them. Big shock. They find the Vortman abandoned, that is, Jack and crew, and we never find out why the Vortman was abandoned. They decide that Tona should lead the team to reclaim it, despite being a 19-year-old scientist. They find the ship abandoned, but in working order, and, a shocking, and in a shocking display of nepotism, Jack makes, Jack makes Tona the captain. They decide to go mining. I forgot that she was, like, 19. <laughs> I actually think that it's slightly varied. I think in, like, my one it's 19, and in yours she's, like, 24 or something right, okay. like that. Because I know, I guess he realised when doing the re-edit that it was a bit weird having a 40-year-old man and a 19-year-old fucking... (laughs) I mean, 25, still a bit weird, but I know, those six years make a big difference in how weird it is. (laughs) they certainly do. (laughs) But yeah, where were we? Oh yeah, chapter 14, or as I like to call it, Mining the Musical. For months, probably. The timeline's very unclear. (laughs) Their scans find a temple underground, they decide to go down there, they find a creepy and ominous alien egg, and against all good sense take it aboard the Vortmund. Chapter 15. The egg hatches, harasses Tona, kills lots of security, Tona decides that she can do better than a security team in perfect formation, gets paralysed, and off screen everyone on the ship dies and starts getting turned into Rakari. Chapter 16. Back to Jack. He just performed a system scan. He banters about gambling with Hollister. Then they try messaging the Vaultman but get no response. Jack leads a strike team to the ship, which is empty. Then it turns into an alien-style rip-off, where they see a Rakari that runs off into an apparently five-foot-high vent. They go deeper into the ship. (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) Chapter 17. A voice talks to Tona in a cocoon tells her that they are the Rakari, they will conquer the universe, and they'll use Tona as their mouthpiece. They also point out that this is all her fault. Duh. Jack and co. go through an egg room, blasting as they go, find Tona because she's screaming, rip her out of the cocoon, then the Rakari attack them. They try and fight back to get to the tranquility, but they get surrounded, then they get saved by Hollister. Which happens a lot. They make it back to the ship and blow up the Vortmund. Tona is taken to the medical bay. Chapter 18. Jack and Tona have a pity party in the medical bay. 
Jack decides they need to find more wormholes to get home. He sends ships to scout out the system, but they still get totally ambushed by the insurrectionists, who for some reason think destroying the tranquillity is a good use of what's left of their manpower. Chapter 19. Jack decides they need to retreat, and Tona goes for a sleep in her room. She then changes into a Rakari, as somehow this genetic change was not noticed in the days that she was in the sick bay. While Jack decides what to do, Tona kills literally a quarter of the crew, like that's like literally a quote, before anybody realises. Jack leads a fight to reclaim the ship against the Rakari. He finds an evil Rakari Tona and is sad.jpg. She also has high heels built into her new Rakari carapace. Jack and Tona banter, then fighting begins. Jack retreats, shoots a crew member in the face, and locks the door behind him and blasts open the airlock. Tona escapes on a life pod and goes through the wormhole. For unclear reasons, Jack decides he needs to follow her. They rush past the insurrectionist somehow and travel through the wormhole. Chapter 20, two-thirds of the way. They find out that they travelled back in time into the distant past somehow. Jack decides to lead a suicidal rescue mission on a planet that's populated with Rakari. They make it to the Rakari Queen's chamber. We meet Queen Vilzina, a fairly irrelevant character all told. She and Tona mock Jack. Fighting starts, and Hollister lets us know that he's fighting for his life against the Rakari up in the Tranquility. Chapter 21. They do a fighting retreat against the Rakari after Jack convinces the retarded marines on a trading ship again, I want to point out. They are not, in fact, retreating, because they wouldn't do it because they're retarded marines. And marines never retreat, apparently. After they make it back to the shuttle, Jack goes full retard and decides to go back and try rescuing Tona, who then proceeds to alternately kiss and beat the shit out of him while her and the Queen talk about milking his DNA. As you do. The marines come back and save him, and they get back onto the... and they then get back onto the tranquility that is now not under any kind of attack, and they begin fleeing back to the wormhole with the Rakari fleet in hot pursuit. Chapter 22. Back with Tiberius. They travel and eventually find the solar system with the wormhole. Somehow, a Rakari fleet had destroyed all of the insurrectionists, and they fight a Rakari scout ship. They manage to somehow reverse-engineer warp technology from this ship and fly them through the wormhole just in time to see the Tranquility and the Rakari fleet bearing down on them. Chapter 23. Jack and Tiberius finally meet and have alternate universe evil twin hijinks. Jack uses the Talia technique to blast through the Imperial fleet with a blast of a small sun. He then decides to go back and save him. They then travel through the wormhole together and go their separate ways. Chapter 24. Tiberius goes back to the Imperator and tells him the bad news. Despite his poor performance and incompetent handling, he's given more men and sets off to capture Jack again. Chapter 25. We join Tona and the Rakari Queen five years later, although 50,000 years in the past, preparing a fleet to invade the future with. She then flies a fleet of Rakari ships through the wormhole while screaming about milking Jack. As far as I can tell, the Queen stays in the past. Milking Jack. That's why. I, was it ever clear? Like, what was the reason for that? Milking Jack. Apparently, because apparently Jack has like the perfect DNA, and they'll be able to use it to make superior Rakari. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Jack's clearly the perfect specimen of yeah, humanity. Exactly. <laughs> oh dear, we're nearly done. 
Chapter 26. Logistics the musical. Jack and co. repair the ship and find another wormhole. That's it. That was a really boring one. <laughs> Chapter 27. The Rakari fly out of the wormhole. We have a big old space fight that the Tranquility loses. They go on a ruse cruise and Jack leads a daring raid to rescue Tona and or blow up the flagship. The blowing up thing is immediately forgotten and never mentioned again. He reaches Tona, tries to convince her to come with him. She then impales him as a mystery someone walks into the room with a bomb and makes an aliens reference. Chapter 28 Back with Tiberius, he somehow knows exactly where to go, FTL's right into the middle of the fight, wrecks the Rakari, and leads a raid onto the flagship as well. They set up a load of bombs, and Tiberius walks into the throne room, syncing up chapters, and, I quote, getting the party rolling. Chapter 29. There's a big three-way ruckus and Tiberius, Jack, and Tona fight. Tona has a sudden re-emergence of her own personality, and after realising they're surrounded by Rakari, Jack and Tiberius fight their way out together. Hollister turns up and saves them yet again. Jack goes back to save Tona, again. This time she was unconscious, so he could actually carry her back. Hollister sacrifices his life to let Jack and to let Jack, Tiberius, and Tona escape, as literally everyone else that went on the ship is dead. And he performs an apocalyptic dab on the Rakari to save their lives, at least in my head canon. <laughs> then Tiberius decides to drop Jack back on the tranquility for undisclosed reasons, as this seems totally counter to his motivations, even within this same chapter. And that brings us up to this, chapter 30, which... I mean, basically just closes this all out. I mean, Jack gets back on the back on the tranquility while crying, tries to go through the wormhole, but the wormhole collapses. Uh, then in his rage at, you know, everything, he orders the ship to fire on the Rakari. He, like, absolutely wrecks them all. And, you know, the Imperials and the tranquility wins. Following on from the final point in chapter 29, Tiberius just decides to let Jack go and gives him ammo even. Okay, again, not sure why, but I think we'll be getting onto that later. Uh, and then, you know, Jack has a big rousing speech to his crew going, even though, like, basically three quarters of you have dead, we're going to get you home, guys. And they all cheer and... Jack just shouts out a load of numbers, then says, take me home. And that's how the book ends. <laughs> accurate. That, yeah, I was about to say, not an accurate summary of the chapter, was it? No. <laughs> so, yeah. What, what do you think of that? All laid out in its 30-chapter glory, Louis. Has well, that brought back any blasts from the past? <laughs> it certainly has. It's brought back some some amazing puffs from the past. Uh, oh, those. Mm, bellissimo. It's, Most amazing um, puffs. <laughs> it made me realise just how many times, like Jack orders, like a strike team or a squad to go out you know, onto like a mission. That's a very common theme thing that happens throughout the entire book. The amount of yeah. like, like, okay, we're sending out a team. We're sending out another team. We're sending out another team. Like four times. Once on the deep space trade voyage station. Once on the Vaultmond sort of once again on the tranquility when they're going uh, when they're going back to like kill toner on it once on the rakari planet and then once on the like you know rakari flagship so that's actually five times <laughs> kinda so yeah 
That's like once every five chapters they send out a strike team to do something. It averages out. <laughs> and also, as you mentioned, it's pretty important in any sort of uh, medium that characters have like what's what's the term? They have like their goal, their motivations, and like goals are clear. Mm. Like it just that's like just storytelling one hundred and one. You know, like yeah, this, like if like if. You know, you can have like, and if you have it so that someone's motivations isn't aren't clear, that should be a reason. That should be like part of the mystery yeah. about them. Trying to work out what their motivations actually are but because the most, they're unclear. Yeah. But the most basic <laughs> form of any storytelling yeah. is like character has goal, has like uh, desires. Then the obstacles to getting those, des- like you know, mm. they face obstacles that they have to overcome, but their end goal is always clear. Or what they want, but yeah, it's saying like the whole Tiberius, uh, just like letting him go, just seems so odd. Like... I say, I say the weird, the thing that's weirdest about that is the fact that like earlier on in like chapter twenty nine, he is literally trying to capture Jack. You know, he's literally fighting him to try and capture him. Mm-hmm. Then by the end of the chapter, he's like, yeah, you just head off. It's like, you know, because there's, yeah, uh, probably shouldn't get too much into this because I want to kind of have a talk about the characters later but you know there's kind of the implication that you know he is planning to do something against the imperator but still everything up until he decides to let jack go makes him look like that he wants to at least capture the jack and the tranquility yeah then he just decides no actually i'll just let them go i have other plans i'm going to go back to the imperator to say to something that's like what yeah okay that's another thing i just thought about is um Apart from, like, the very start of the book, or the first sort of quarter, I'd say, mm. we get quite, like, a rich, um, I say rich, we get, like, <laughs> a a sort of, we get to know, like, a lot more people, we get to know a lot more destinations and places, but then for, like, the last half of the book, it's just, like, there's so much of the universe that's not, like, explored, like, the Imperator's uh, sort of role in all this and just it, basically we're just in this bubble of like Rakari, Jack and um, the insurrectionists some, in some level but uh, uh, man, I've, just, I've got things to say about the insurrectionists uh, <laughs> after like you know five or six chapters of all oh, the Rakari, the Rakari again all the Rakari it's like okay can we have something different than like yeah it's I know yeah, I kind of know what you mean. It's like, like uh, you say, it's to call it fleshed out is too much of a service. But in sort of like, you do kind of get a sense of you know place and universe in the first I don't know say half of the book. You know, talks a lot about you know the trade voyage station, the history of things. You know, you do kind of get that chapter with Tiberius kind of setting the scene with the Imperator a bit. You know, there is some effort to kind of flesh out the world a little bit. But, you know, then it all just becomes, you know, space raid against the Rakari, space raid against the Imperials, you know, yeah. ground raid, X-ray. You know, it's it, it all kind of becomes very boring action. <laughs> yeah, there's not much character, de- like, character development later on. Like, we had little glimpses of Jack's past of, of, you know, his father being like... Wait, I can't even remember. Is his father, like... Missing or dead? Yeah, or? his father is missing. I, I can't remember exactly what it is. I, I think that 
he was basically her. They went. His parents went missing doing like a big like exploration thing for like the army or something, and they're just like you know they just disappeared. No one knows what happened to them. Yeah, which you know is a big bullet left in the Chekhov's gun never fired. I mean, yeah. I guess you know it's meant to be part of a trilogy, so maybe it'll come up later but you know it's it's mentioned for a sentence once in this book and like never comes up again i feel like for example in most like action films for example you know you get these like action scenes but then in between them you have these moments where like we get to know a bit more about the universe and the characters and why they're this way and their pasts and their whatever i feel like this is basically just just the action parts and none of that shit about like you know, does the reason behind people doing things and like, like you said, the Imperator basically says to Tiberius, "Oh, go get them," and then that's it. Like, there's mm. no, it's not really followed up on. Like, I mean, again, you said it's a trilogy, so maybe we'll find out. But even in that rape chapter, <laughs> you know, we <laughs> had <a> like, <laughs> I remember something briefly about there being like a picture of the Imperator on the wall, and like the guards were, I don't know, weren't they like? Not happy with him or something. I don't know. I can't remember exactly what it was. They 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 were they were mostly arguing about rape order. Really, um, yeah. were, it was like there was like ah oh, you you got to fuck the insurrectionist first. I I I like redheads. I want this one, and that's how the fight starts. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah like, that was that was. I mean. Yeah, while while I appreciate the attempt at kind of like setting up the world in that chapter, it was also the sloppiest attempt ever because yeah. it literally says up on the wall was a picture of someone that we that Tona will later find out is the Imperator. I'm actually not sure how Tona finds out what the Imperator looks like. Actually, <laughs> having <Yeah>. said that. <laughs> But, you know, it literally, rather than describing the Imperator and then dis- in the picture and then describing the Imperator in person when you meet him, they literally say, oh, yeah, and on the wall is a picture of the Imperator. You know, it's not giving you that slightest, you know, bit of <laughs> bit of credit that you'd be able to work out and be like, oh, of course, it's a picture of the Imperator kind of thing. I think this is also something we discussed um, throughout the book, which is that mm. because because the tranquility is so op yeah and we know that because you know like in most uh in most stories to be honest because the main character is on it it's all going to work out for them in the end they're not going to die and whatever yeah. it makes all these like oh they're fighting the ricari again all you know like boring yeah you just know they're going to win i mean you know but People get hurt. I mean, uh, Toda's she's a bug floating in liquid, and and Hollister he he dabbed for eternity. He did. He definitely did. <laughs> he's he's dabbing all the way down through the multiverse still. Some say he's still dabbing. <laughs> Some say. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I suppose yeah. Um, unless you have anything else to say, we should get on to the last chapter. Yeah, I, there's a couple of like things I want to talk about in summary. That you know, this is probably I probably should have put the kibosh on half of that talking there and left it all for them. But it's it's good. It, it came up naturally. Didn't cover a lot too much of it. So yeah, let's get on to the chapter proper. So yeah, this chapter is uh, very short actually. Yeah, I think incredibly maybe, short. Maybe the shortest, <sighs> uh, if not one of. 
it must be up there. In my know, book, there's it's three not pages. Much, there's not much in it. Like, I think the chapter where we were like back with you know the Queen and Tona Rakari that was stupidly short as mm. well. But it's comparable. It's if it's not the shortest, it's in like the shortest three or something like that. And the chapter title, as it were, is for the gods, which is apparent later on. Yeah. As, as a title drop. Yeah. Pow. <laughs> Um, but funnily enough, I mean, not funny, not surprising really, but for the gods in the title, G is capitalised, but actually the quote later on is <laughs> not capital G, so it's not even the same, but whatever. Of course, of course. <laughs> what do you expect? Um, yeah, consistency? Yeah, you mentioned in the summary that um, basically the chapter starts, well, the, the last chapter ended... Uh, how did it end actually? Basically, just ended with with Tiberius, you know, just dropping them off in like the hangar bay of the mm. Tranquility, while Jack rushes off. So basically, to start, just to put it in context, he's back on the ship, and the Rakari is still trying to fuck them up. Mm. Um. Okay. And yeah, basically, this chapter is, I think, a really great just summary of Jack as a <laughs> captain slash person like and just how horrific he is as a captain like yeah. I th- I feel like now that Hollister's gone he's like got no one to keep him he's, together and he's, yeah, like, he's just totally lost it <laughs> he's he's really like a wrecked man in this chapter <laughs> yeah like he to be honest, someone should have just like you know walked up to him and like injected him with a sedative and just be like, "We're taking command. You fucking gone off the reservation, mate." <laughs> he's li- he's literally his worst form in this chapter. Yeah, uh, like I mean, he's literally crying and screaming while and sitting in his out. captain chair. <laughs> like literally, pro- well, by the sounds of it, like hours after being alone. You know, from Hollister, he's already, like... He can barely stay conscious. <laughs> Pretty oh, much. No. What a Nobody bought him his quam pie. Nobody yeah. else knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the beginning of the chapter's fairly uninteresting. Basically, he's trying to get a, you know, a hold on what's going on since he's been dropped off. Yeah, um, just getting it summarised to him by an officer. Yeah. And basically, it's just that they're, you know, trying to still fight, try, still trying to fight off the Rikari, and and they're being helped by the Imperial fleet. Yeah, apparently. Which is again like strange. They've gone from literally trying to capture them to not even like pitily letting them go, but actually helping them actively. Yeah, like I mean, like I say this. You know, even if they are trying to protect the tranquility, they still like unless uh, you know Tiberius must have like off-screen said, "No, nah, actually, let them go." <laughs> you know, yeah, whatever, go for it, let them leave, because they should be like, you know, yes, protecting them, but also stopping them from leaving and mm-hmm. like trying to take them in. But yeah, like you know, that's the thing. Like, it's impossible for Tiberius to keep this a secret. You know, he's every <laughs> everyone in his ship. Where ships will know that he just let the tranquility go, and he gave them ammo, which is l- literally why they were there to capture it. I I wonder how he's going to get out of this with the Imperator. I like how the watch officer is covered in blood after um, 
Like his console explodes apparently. And yet like still doesn't pass out. <laughs> whereas Jack does later on. For no reason. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he's been through a lot. He was impaled through the chest. He witnessed a majestic dab. A lot happened. So basically they decide they're going to try and get out and go yes, towards the wormhole. rush through the wormhole. Even though the Rakari came out of that wormhole, you know, mm-hmm. putting that out of there. So so you'd expect for them to end up 50,000 years in the past in front of the Rakari planet if they went through it. I mean, Jack's definitely just making up as he goes along now. Yeah, he's just, yeah, that, that's fair, actually. <laughs> he's just doing whatever comes into his head. <laughs> I don't know why this bit is in quotes, but it says the tranquility made a quick turn. Like, quick is in quotes in my book. Yeah, me too. I was just wondering what that meant as well. Maybe it's sarcastic? Yeah, it actually took half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe that's like, you know, a special setting on the ship. Just like, quickly, do the quick turn. Okay, presses button. Quick turn. But yeah... As as they're approaching the worm ho- wormhole, uh, the watch officer uh, officer took the exo seat. Jack stared at the chair, and then a single tear dropped down his t- cheek. This is the beginning of Jack's descent into madness. I think. <laughs> yeah, just this sta- is, like this staring is where he, gormously at a chair. Yeah, this is where he finally breaks. You know, up until now, you know, he was he was holding it together, but that empty chair <laughs> and his mind fucking breaks. <laughs> I I wish he just like when the watch officer sat in Horst's chair, he just got up and like smacked him like you, get the you fuck not- out. <laughs> that is not your chair. <laughs> Yeah, I, lo- yeah. I love how dramatic that is as well. Like, a single tear. <laughs> it's so stereotypical. Yeah, yeah. Dropping down his cheek. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Uh, and then you hear the watch officer says, it's destabilising. I like that. The worst call came as Jack's eyes moved. What does that mean, the worst call? Yeah, okay. I But yeah, the, the wormhole started to change colour. Which is bad. It was going red. Yeah. That's bad. Red's a bad colour. It is. It's the colour of communism, you know. Can we make it before it collapsed? Good English. Can we? But yeah, Jack spoke almost desperately. Inside he was praying. Inside. <laughs> I like to imagine outside too. He'd like He was like on his knees, hands clasped. Can yeah. we make it? Yeah, and they say, no, it's it's the wrong wavelength. The weapon fire's pushed it too far. We don't know where we would end up. <laughs> like they've known where they've been ending up in the past. Yeah, like they've last had any time, control. Yeah. yeah, the first time they ended up in an alternate universe. Last time they ended up 50,000 years in the past. <laughs> I mean, like I say, I would expect them to end up 50,000 years in the past, but honestly, who the fuck knows? There's no fucking consistency here with this shit. Are they just, like, <laughs> trying wormhole from wormhole just to see which one gets them home? Do they have a plan? I mean, I remember... Why are there so many wormholes? How f- how common are wormholes in this universe? Oh, I mean, to be fair, he was... In the in the very first chapter, he was kind of, you know, blasé about it. It was like, oh, there's the Yakutan Rift wormhole just just you know whatever we go past that every time we go to the trade station kind of thing so i guess they're not like super uncommon i don't know uh-huh. but yeah it's kind of weird 
And yeah, that does basically seem to be his plan, just to jump every wormhole he sees, despite the fact they've got no idea what any, what any of it'll do. I like how the officer says, uh, well, actually, no, they don't say, but the book says, the census, the census officer spoke quietly, so close, so many dead for nothing. Yeah. Accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Accurate statement. And then I like how the next quote is Jack saying, I do not care. I almost, I like to imagine he's saying that to the, like, n- the author. The author's <laughs> like, so many dead for nothing. And Jack's like, I don't care. Just take us in a fucking wormhole. <laughs> yeah. It's almost, almost snarled. His hands gripped the armrest. <laughs> that chair's seen a lot of action. Exactly. It's 300 years old, but Jack's going to finish it off. <laughs> But sir, we don't know where. And then Jack just screams at them, take us in now. Such leadership. <laughs> Calm and collect. Exactly. <laughs> and then the and then probably the worst, even worser call comes in, which is that the wormhole is gone. Gone. And then Jack bursts into tears. <laughs> <laughs> like a fucking five-year-old he starts having a tantrum slams his hands down on the arm stands up and pushes his hands to his side what does that even mean i don't know (laughs) just imagine he's like with his arms locked at his side like he's having a fucking fit like (laughs) 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 bring about all powder weapons Unleash, yeah, he's actually now on the floor, like, foaming from his mouth and yelling this. <laughs> Bring about all powder weapons. Unleash everything on the Rakari. I don't want a single ship leaving the fracking sector. <laughs> you know he's mad when he says fracking. I know, right? Jack yelled. The crew was uneasy. They'd never seen Jack like this. And not wanting to argue with him while he was like this, they did as he ordered. <laughs> What a fucking lunatic. <laughs> what an absolute unit. <laughs> I like to think there's a qualm pie on the wall and it's like breaking case of breakdown. You know, with like a glass yeah. <laughs> thing on it. Yeah. Someone get him his qualm pie. Quickly. His jaws are locked. Just smear it <laughs> on his gums. <laughs> It'll help. <laughs> Just ends we need up, an like, intravenous face... qualm pie drip. <laughs> just face first, like screaming into a qualm pie. <laughs> just, yeah, just... <laughs> <laughs> while mm, while someone's like, shh, it's okay, it's okay, Jack. <laughs> and then he right. just like embrace slip... the qualm pie, <laughs> and he just slips into unconsciousness in the qualm pie. Yeah, the blissful unconsciousness of qualm pie. <laughs> I think we're going a bit off the book here. This doesn't little, happen, by the way. Yeah, but, th- yeah, none of this happens. <laughs> apart from him passing out. Yeah, that happens in a minute. <laughs> For literally no reason, which is fucking amazing. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> so anyway, they uh, they fire every missile and torpedo and basically just absolutely shrek the Rikari. Like, so much so that it goes down in history as the first lot... The first largest mass kill count of Rikari vessels. I just realised, what sense does that make? The first <laughs> largest mass kill count. I don't know. What? Like, 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 I think, the thing is, 
I think what they're trying to say is this is the first largest mass kill count of Rakari vessels, and this was racked up by the battleship Tranquility, like in their records. But instead, oh. it sounds like you know one of those super specific like Guinness World Records, yeah. Where it's like it's the first largest mass kill count of Rakari vessels that the battleship Tranquility racked up. Yeah. So it's like you know <laughs> most you know, Rakari vessels killed by battleship. <laughs> yeah. Next no. to like most face pegs, most like uh, clothes pegs on a face. Yeah, but it's like, but uh, the way it's phrased, specifically the most killed by the tranquility. Other ones have killed more, but this is the most killed by the tranquility. Also, just like, I, I'm, I'm just curious about how, me- like, what that looked like and the logistics of what just happened. So they just like fired an absolute shit ton of missiles and just. Doesn't the Rikari have like thousands of ships? Uh, hundreds at least. Yeah, and it, I like how it just says mass kill count. Like we don't, we have no all, idea how big the space battle. All really but a is. few of the Rikari vessels survived the strike. Why didn't he do this fucking earlier? As well, I just like, realised actually the way that's phrased. All but a few of the Rikari vessels survived the strike. That technically means that most of them survived the strike, right? You know, reading that, all but a few vessels survived the strike. So that yeah, means a few vessels were destroyed, to, yeah. but all but a few survived. I just noticed that. I think what, yeah, I think what he means is only a few survived. <laughs> yeah, he tried to fruit, fruity up the description and just made it literally the opposite. <laughs> That's actually amazing because it's like, wow, he, they just absolutely shrek them. Most of them are still alive. Yeah. <laughs> it affected very few. Yeah, it had minimal impact. <laughs> but yeah, we're pretty sure that's not what it meant to say. <laughs> 99% of Tranquility's power went into the weapons just then. Whatever the fuck that means. The other 1% know. is making qualm pies. Yeah, always. <laughs> just dropping out Reserved. of the ceiling onto Jack passed out in his chair <laughs> yeah and then this is the best pit so we go from that paragraph and we no go build up <laughs> to Jack passed out in his chair and woke up in the medical bay <laughs> like not Why? even it's not even I thought because I read ahead a bit and saw that sentence Jack passed out and I thought okay they're going to have like some sort of fight and they're going to get shrekt and he's going to get like hit on the head with something Nope, he just fucking he, he literally passes out. passes out in his chair from screaming and crying, <laughs> <laughs> and just getting excited about like just killing Rikari. Yeah, just like <laughs> at what point did he? So he just literally said, "Take us in now." The wormhole goes. He starts crying. He then orders them to start firing, and then what? Like immediately, just passes passes out. Fire! I mean, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, wait, do we do we keep firing? Yeah. <laughs> what do we do? Maybe that's why ninety nine percent of power went into it. He was just they were like uh, he was like, How much power should we put in Captain Like, I'll tell you when. Passes out. Uh, more? Yeah. More? You didn't say when <laughs> Sir <laughs> I love the fact that he woke up in the medical bay as well, like they had to carry him away. Yeah. He was he was so out of it, like that, like they couldn't wake him up in his chair. Like, 
I like to imagine there were like people there, like shaking him, slapping his face, like you know, holding a, a qualm pie yeah. under his nose, <laughs> just to try and rouse him. It's like, nah, he's he's gone. Just take him to the medical bay. <laughs> and of course, I've never seen this before. <laughs> I don't think it's a coincidence that they managed to take out that they managed to drive the Rakari away when he's not in charge. Like <laughs> they do their best work when he's passed out in the medical bay. Yeah. It's not like a coincidence. It, yeah. <laughs> we solved everything, Jack. Just like okay, this was not even Hollister there to clean things up. This is just you know random crew person running things now. <laughs> and again, Jack, just being great here, sitting up in the bed. Jack broke down in tears again. <laughs> of course. And when he was finally able to stop crying, yeah. an officer brought him the report. So, you know, three days later... <laughs> what the fuck's wrong with Sir, him? Sir, please read this. Is it also, like, I can't honestly remember, is this quite out of character for him? He's not, like, I don't think he's known for being emotional like this, or... Yeah, I don't. I can't recall any other time that he's been, like, really emotional Maybe it's just like Hollister. This. It's affected him. Harder yeah. than I thought. I like, yeah, I like the fact that this does seem to have affected him worse than when he thought Toner was dead a couple of times, yeah. basically. Like, you know, he was he was sad, you know, he was worried, but he wasn't screaming, crying, <laughs> just you know, completely flipping his shit. <laughs> it says that with the wormhole gone, the watch officer or whatever had plotted a course for a nebula to fix the ship, whatever the fuck that means. Apparently. Literally just another part of space. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing. Just oh, here, here is where we will fix the ship. Like, why? Their ship's been quite wrecked for some time now. Why have they not done this uh, like earlier? Yeah, like remember a couple of chapters ago in logistics, the musical when they were basically like the ship is fucked. You know, this this ship is has got to be like you know basically destroyed and put back together again. It's so yeah. fucked. And yet it's able to do all of this. And I was like, oh, let's take it to a nebula to repair it. <laughs> okay. And um, this is where we see that Tiberius, against his better judgment, agrees to let them go again. But also Why? gives Why? them ammo. <laughs> yeah, like, like I say, I guess you know, maybe it'll all pay off in book three. But this seems to be directly counteracting how Hollister was acting literally at the start of last chapter. It, it, <laughs> I feel like it's just to like uh, set up the sequel, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. Because I think he even says here, um, you know, make sure that next time we meet, I don't have to save your fracking asig first. Like, setting up the fact they're going to meet again. Yeah. Smiling softly. <laughs> soft, soft Tiberius Which, uh, smiles. <laughs> I feel like it's a good point to mentioned that unfortunately in the last chapter no chuckles chuckle free entirely not a not a smirk either just that that's, soft smile yeah is the best to. we'll get i mean it's a sad chapter you know it's you know kind of thinking about all the lives lost and the hard road ahead but i don't know if it's um if you have well i know you have cuz you're <laughs> fucking mad uh, a chuckle vision total count yeah okay i guess this is the this is as good a time as any for it the chuckle vision aggregator as i like to call it <laughs> so okay the total smirkage in the way the stars fall rebirth is 43 total smirks 
that average is out to 1.43 smirks a chapter. Nice. And our total chucklage is 31. Less chuckles and smirks. Who'd have thought it? That averages to a mere 1.03 chuckles a chapter. That's fucking amazing. (laughs) I love the fact that, on average, there is always a smirk and a chuckle in In every chapter. chapter. (laughs) Every chapter of your book has a a smirk and a chuckle in it. Fucking amazing. How can that be possible? (laughs) Uh, Poor vocabulary. (laughs) And and also, some... a couple of other uh, of other stats. The chapter with the most smirks is chapter twenty-seven, which is the one where you know we have the space fight and Jack goes on his final you know commando raid to kill slash rescue Toner. So I I think Toner and and everyone and Toner and Hollister were smirking a lot with all the ruses and plans going on in that one. And how many smirks were there? Uh, six, sir. Six spicy smirks in a single chapter. Can you dream of something like that? I know. Once you've seen the face of God, how can you go back? (laughs) And most chuckles, less four in chapter two. So they got the chuckles in early. I believe that was probably mostly thanks to good old Fargus chuckling away at Jack's. (laughs) What a chuckler. I know. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if you have these stats available to you, but I'd be interested to find out the, <laughs> the like a chuckle sort of leaderboard of characters <laughs> who who has <laughs> who's I, the I, chuckliest I, character of all. I wish I had, but I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> but you will. Maybe, maybe I'll attach that as a blog post, have the chuckle leaderboard. <laughs> because that's hard work worth doing. <laughs> yeah. Fuck everything else in your life. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing else matters. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that's... That is that, and that is Chuckle Vision done forever. It was a wild ride. <laughs> More like Smirk Vision, by the sounds of it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. We na- we named the section early when the chuckles were dominating, but the book is heavily reloaded with the smirks. You mm. see. Yeah. You see. Uh, uh, that's how he draws of... you in. You see. With, exactly. You know, based off of the first chuckles. five chapters, or oh, chuckles left, right, and centre. It's heavy. You know, the smirks are always there. They turn up early and they stay, but they're low. But there's some heavy chuckle power in the early chapters, which kind of trails off and makes way for a blistering high of smirks in the late book. Oh. Fascinating stuff. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Oh man, I was, I, I was tempted to make a spreadsheet and like make a, make a tableau dashboard or something of like the breakdown of like smirks and chuckles over time. Make like a heat map of like characters with smirks and chuckles. Like I could, and I could do like secondary classification, like you know the soft smirks or the hearty chuckles. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I can make a beautiful, some beautiful visualizations. <laughs> also, like chuckles within universe, like where were the most chuckles? You know, maybe like within the palace, there's quite a lot of chuckles. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. What's the location? You know, where you know, are the tranquility, chuckling? the Vaultland, mining palettes, planets. Oh, yeah, that's that could be a very interesting study. <laughs> <laughs> 
It could be. <laughs> it definitely could be, but won't be. <laughs> I think you should actually just commit yourself. Like, if that, if you ever did that, just bring that in with you to the mental hospital. I'd like to turn myself in, please. It'd be like this... that episode of The Simpsons where, where Flanders commits himself. It's like, okay, sir, you know, would you like to be walked in or dragged kicking and screaming? Yeah. Oh, kicking and screaming, please. <laughs> Chuckle or vision. Would you like to be uh, taken in quietly or dragged in chuckling and smiling or smirking? <laughs> chuckling and smirking, please. Ha ha ha. Smirk. <laughs> Oh Damn. my word! Um, <laughs> so yeah, back to this chapter. Um, what the fuck were we talking about? We were Tiberius's talking about soft smile after saving him again, and just how giving him ammo. No idea why he's doing this. And apparently, it was days before Jack was healthy enough to even get out of bed. What the fuck? <laughs> like, what's I wrong mean, with him? I mean, he to be fair, complete... he was beaten up and stabbed through the chest by Tona yeah. while she was still evil. Maybe that's but... why he passed out, actually. I forgot yeah. about that. Just bleeding in his suit <laughs> the whole time. Like, he passes out and everyone's like, oh shit. <laughs> he didn't realise that he was, like, dying. <laughs> And he goes to see Tona, of course, the first thing he does, in yeah. her pod, her alien form hovering in the nutrient-filled liquid. Yeah. Her wood were being healed. But she would not wake up. <laughs> Such writing. Such literary power. <laughs> Shakespeare. Shakespeare. But, yeah, I just... Like to imagine her, you know, just floating and tea posing, but I don't think that's likely. <laughs> also, what is this referencing? Where it says Jack could not risk it, not until he reversed what had happened to her. I guess. I'm, Was he thinking I'm, of having a cheeky, like, <laughs> cheeky go? <laughs> He's like, how long can we, we be sure that she's knocked out for? <laughs> Ten minutes, long enough. Drain the pod. <laughs> I'm going in. Like I don't know how I'm going to cope with this hard carapace, but, you know, I've got a chisel. <laughs> a ch- and where there's a will, there's a way. And those heels are doing it for me. But yeah, so I guess he's like, oh, if she wakes up, she'll be evil and kill us all, and we've got to reverse what happened to her somehow. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't explain how, what that even means, like, if they have any ideas, or if she's just going to be floating in here for, like, the entire next book. You know, Jack just walks out and looks at her and is just like, Tona one day, then goes back to the story, because they can't do shit to, like, change her into not an alien anymore. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I really like this bit where he steps back onto the bridge and it says he pulled down his uniform tunic and sat, sat <laughs> yes, slowly into the yes. chair. Obviously what it means is that he, times, yes. obviously what it means is that he like rearranged his, you know, he just like held onto it as you sit down, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, you know, it's like, but yeah, I like the fact, moved into I, position. But... I like to think that he literally just like, just ripped off his uniform. Yeah, he just he begins disrobing, sits down naked in the leather chair. Like he's completely having a fucking mental breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> he tries to he he tries to walk over to one of the portholes and starts feeding his uniform out through it. And it's like, no, sir, that'll kill us all. <laughs> Just smearing quite pie over his naked body. I like- and like while he's here making this, you know, big dramatic announcement to the ship, he's like on video and he's just like naked, Sh- shirtless, <laughs> naked, covered in pie and screaming. <laughs> he's like, put me on ship wide. He's like, uh, sir, maybe uh, put the uniform back on. Put me ship wide. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> and yeah, this is where he gives his final. Uh, final hurrah to his crew what's mm. left of them anyway Yeah, in a rousing speech which yeah. I think we'll just read in full he says this is the captain speaking we have failed we did not get home we lost many lives including the XO and we are once again trapped in this wretched place however we will not stop we will not give up I promised Hollister that I would get the crew home I promised everyone living and dead, that I would get this crew home, and I keep my promises. It may be hard, it may be tough, but we, the crew of the Tranquility, if we give her our all, she will give us it back a hundredfold. I promise you on my life, I will get you home. So say the gods. Title drop. Mic like drop. The... Jack, put the microphone down. Mic Literally drop. mic drop. <laughs> Why is there a fucking mic... Like, I just like to imagine he's he like brings a microphone uh, like comes down from the ceiling like in a fucking boxing match or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it starts getting like winched back up again. Yeah. Like, okay, get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a few things in there that are quite funny. Like the fact that he promises everyone living and dead that he would get them home. Because <laughs> there are many dead. <laughs> yeah. And I promise to get you home even though you're dead. <laughs> even though most of them are like literally dead on, you know, he can't even get their bodies home, you know. They're literally like dead on alien ships and planets. Yeah. You know, a lot of them have been literally broken down at the molecular level and turned into Rakari, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, you know, it's it might be hard. It might be tough. <laughs> but we, the crew of the Tranquility... <laughs> Yeah, they're gonna finally get them home. Whatever's left. And like, but where where is this? It's like this phrase, "So say the gods," has given such significance, but I swear to God, never been said in the rest of the book. Yeah, and <laughs> then just... the rest of the crew like cheer and say, "For the gods!" And it's like he was sure the entire crew shouted it too. I bet he didn't. <laughs> He's just yeah, like everyone on the bridge is just like yeah, because Jack's you know insane, naked, mm-hmm. crying. <laughs> yeah, they're just scared. <laughs> yeah, they're just like yay. Woo. But everyone else on the ship's like. Everyone's fucking dead. And they're like, God, you know, you know, there are people, you know, just like having sex, you know, shooting up drugs, just eating their body weight in Quam pie, because they're like, it's over, man. This is, you know, like apocalypse scenario yeah. here. <laughs> like fucking the janitor oh, the... robots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apply the super suck function. <laughs> it's like... I was like, I think, I don't know if the human body can take it. This is how I want to die. <laughs> like that scene in American Pie, but Quam Pie. <laughs> um, yeah. And also, like, I just love the fact that the crew is so behind him. Like, yeah. Why? Despite they had no everything. reason. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and then this is just a terrible way to end the book, where he's like, yeah. put us on a course to 049 Mark 617, Jack spoke, and pointed at the empty space, <laughs> take us home. What a plan. I know, right? <laughs> oh, so that's all it needed. Yeah. Take, easy just to, pointing into space point saying, into, take like, us home. I like the fact that, you know, it's... <laughs> You know, it doesn't even like try and set like a dramatic scene. You know, like you know, he points out into into you know into the void where the stars are sparking. You see the nebulas flaring. You know, in the you know in this exciting universe, they're going to find their way. It's like literally empty space on the view screen. Yeah. Go that way. Take <laughs> no attempt home. to make it you know dramatic and stirring. <laughs> you know, it's just it's. It ends not with a bang, but with a whimper. <laughs> Take us home. I just like to... Th- I like the fact that it ends with an ellipsis. I like to think that he goes, Take us home. And then, like, there's silence. And then people are like, What are you fucking talking about? Yeah, like, what? what does that mean? <laughs> How? So we're just going to go so, that so way, right? So this way okay. is home? Yeah. And it's just... I oh, just like the sentence, just like, listing up, just like... The idea that I like, that just... A good way to close it is like just listing like a load of coordinates of nonsense gibberish has coordinates. He, and also, yeah, has he ever given a direction or like an order like this before? Into, isn't it usually like go towards the wormhole? <laughs> Where, what the fuck is zero four nine mark six one seven? And in my book, mm. it's so inconsistently capitalized. <laughs> zero is capital Z. But then four and nine are not, and then Mark is capitalized for some reason. But uh, then it, six and one are not, and then seven yeah. is capitalized. It would have been amazing if there was just like you know a typed number in there yeah, as well, I just for maximum inconsistency. Yeah. But we got to give him that they are all at least written numbers, as opposed to you know numerals. <laughs> I like to think that the reason Mark is capitalized is because Word thought it was a like a, <laughs> a name, a, name. a proper name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect dramatic way to which, close out the way the stars fall the which start of the trilogy <laughs> the fact that mark is capitalized because it thought it was a name would make sense if there weren't instances in the book where like jack was not capitalized yeah where names weren't capitalized <laughs> i mean fuck me yeah so yeah that's how it ends that's, take that, us home that is the book take us home Country 162 Road. pages in my book yeah, it's what is it in mine? Many more because of how it's like double spaced for some reason. Two hundred and eighty six. However, there is uh, a little note from the author at the end, ah. and I'll just read that. It says, "I just want to say thank you for reading my novel. This is my first published novel, and it took a lot of work to get through it." Don't worry, Lewis, it took us a lot of work too. <laughs> <laughs> if you wish to check out any more of my work, you can head over to http colon slash slash www.lewisstockton.com. I tend to update this regularly and have many other smaller works on here. Look out for more. Look out for more from The Way the Stars Fall Universe. I don't know why, but there's something funny about him putting like a URL in his book. <laughs> the fact that like... <laughs> I mean, I also like the fact that it's clearly been like made a hyperlink in Word because it's like underlined and italicized Italic. as well. Yeah. Like, man, I bet if this was printed in color, it'd be blue. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> would. And then I like that there's, I, I imagine this is probably just standard with the publishing, but there's like some notes, some page, blank pages, which you can make notes on if you yeah. so wish. 
if you don't want to sully your copy. <laughs> if you want to, but yeah, and and to be fair to him, he's he's keeping his promise. The second book's out. I got it on my shelf up here. Exciting. Yeah, the way the stars fall. Number two, book two, resurgence. Yeah, fight for the lost. What? I just, I just remembered that on the spine book of this two. book it says the way the stars fall, rebirth, rebirth. <laughs> Fucking amazing! It's pretty good. I like, yeah, like, and so does it say book, but like book one or something? Oh, yeah, man, cause, on, cause on the front it both... says the way the stars fall, book one, rebirth. Yeah, got it. And on the and on the side it just says the way the stars fall, rebirth, rebirth. Because uh-huh. it's the same on my copy of that version as well. Yep. And uh, yeah, and on. The other one, it's the way the stars fall. Book two, resurgence is is actually right on the spine. <laughs> it's actually correct. I like that. Yeah, getting better, getting better. Is it normal for what we're on, doing? No, on the front of the book for it to say <laughs> by Lewis Stockton, not just Lewis Stockton. Usually, just has their name. Mm. I'm nitpicking. Yeah. In most, I. Yeah, in most books that I've seen, it just has their name. It's having the buys. I know. It's a bit like GCSE essay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... I can't think of any... Yeah, that is not a common thing to have buy. Yeah, that's... That's weird. That is not common literary practice. Nothing is in this book. Yeah, it's... It's a unique way of writing, you know, doing a one shot with no editing and, you know, opting to ignore the spell checker. It's bold, brave and beautiful, Louis. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm just skimming through the book like as a final reminder and the copyright section at the start says uh, this book may or this book or any portion there thereof may not be reproduced or used in any manner whatsoever without the express written permission of the publisher except for the use of brief quotations in a book review. Yeah. This is certainly a book review. It's it must be up there as one of the biggest book reviews <laughs> in history. <laughs> but I mean I don't know what this is if not a book review. <laughs> uh what would you yeah. give it out of ten, Louis? <laughs> um, well, is ten a good number? I guess. <laughs> I would give it one qualm pie. <laughs> one qualm pie, eh? I'd, I'd give it two and a half chuckles out of ten. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, but, but yeah, like I say before. Like, you know, we've done, but there's a couple of, you know, quick quick discussion things I want to go through about the story as a whole, just to really tie a bow on this whole thing. First of all, I just want to bring up one of my older subjects, the tranquility body count. You remember this old mm-hmm. boy, Louis? How could I forget? So, just a quick rundown. We are assuming that there is 180 people on the, working on the tranquility based off of the time when Jack said that in six months he invited every member of his crew to have dinner at, like, the captain's table with him. I mean, I'm sure That's that... That's a big he... table. <laughs> I mean, he he said... 
I'd like to think they just have yeah everyone one. at a giant table. Hello, Abs- pass the salt. <laughs> yeah, pass the salt. <laughs> like two days later, here you buff- go. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. is the pepper. To be honest, I am sure that he planned for there to be more crew than that. But you know, that's literally what he it says there. If you do the maths. <laughs> So it's about 180 people, let's say. Now, there are kind of like two things I've taken into account. Like, you know, the fully confirmed kills, where they've like literally said five people died. Uh Or it's like five people went onto this shuttle and then later the shuttle blows up, you know, stuff like that. You know, like 100% unquestionable this many people died. Uh That brings the total down to 122 which is, yeah, that's not too bad. That's like 58 people. But there are many situations where people definitely died, but we just have no idea how many actually died. You know, it could be anything from like 5 to 50, uh-huh. basically. Yeah, you know. An example uh, being when the Rakari destroyed the Vortmund, I guess. Yeah, exactly. When the, you know, I mean, because that's the thing, like, how many people did Jack give Tona? to command the vaultmond we just don't know i mean we know that she we know that she has at least 8 p uh, 8 security because they explicitly die <laughs> i mean we're we're assuming that she got some other scientists on there but you know you know clearly people died but we just don't know how many we just don't but it's got to be a decent chunk i mean i think you know i kind of assumed like 30 because that was like a, a quarter uh, ish of the tranquility's people that were left at that point in the story. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that's probably ballpark the amount of people that they got, <laughs> something like that. But yeah, so you know, there are other examples where we don't quite know, where we don't quite know, like you know, when the Rakari are on the tranquility. I mean, it literally says a quarter of the crew left were killed. But we don't know how many a quarter is, because that depends on all of these assumptions, you know, how many people yeah. were left on the tranquility. So based on my numbers, I worked out to that to mean 25 people, because there was like 25 people left on the ship, at, 100 people left on the ship, that is, at the time, using my calculations and guesstimates. Well, 25 is a quarter of 100. It certainly is. This is why I got a maths degree, Louis. <laughs> but yeah... But basically, the long and short of it, I, I, while going through the book, I made lots of judgment calls like that of what I think are conservative estimates of the amount of people that had to die. And that brings us down to 40 people left. <laughs> nice. I mean, I like, like I say, and I would also like to stress, there are many situations where the tranquility or members of the crew are in very dangerous situations and probably people died. But it's never explicitly mentioned that people died in these things. So I've left the count at zero for these situations. Like, like uh, you know, the, the, the marine raid on like the Rakari planet to like, yeah. rescue Tona the first time. None of those people actually are noted as dying on paper. It kind of seems unlikely given all the shit that happens. But as far as the text says, none of them die. So none of them die, basically. <laughs> And how much of a percentage then is that left of the ship? How much of a percentage is that? Uh, so let's see. So that's forty out of a hundred and eighty. 
would be uh, about 22%, less than a quarter. So, assuming... Remember how they were working on... uh, fifth. (laughs) They were like three versions of the crew working on shifts. They must be really inefficient right now. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know... (laughs) For two-thirds of the time, nothing's being done. Yeah, or the entire ship is being run by 13 people at a time. (laughs) Like I say, this is just me being autistic and pointing fun, because he definitely intended for there to be more than 180 people, I reckon. It's it's like, when I think of it in the, in the idea of like a trading ship, I'm kind of like, 180 people kind of works out? I, that sounds reasonable, That sounds actually. like a lot to me. Yeah, for I guess. Trading. It depends what how you... big the ship is, I suppose. <laughs> but... I mean, but how many duties can there really be for yeah. transporting stuff? I mean, I guess it's you would think a transport yeah, like... ship would be actually one of the least populated ships. Yeah, because most of the ship is just going to be like ho- massive holds. Well, yeah, and, think like, about and they like wouldn't a... need to bring like and really, surely they wouldn't need or want to bring like people for loading it on and off like wouldn't you like wouldn't it be cheaper to have deck like the deck hands living mm-hmm. on the stations to load and unload things I mean, into think, your holes yeah like using the comparison that he so often likes to make if you think about mm. like a um a cargo ship it's just mainly shipping containers and yeah. they probably try and have as little crew as physically possible to make it more efficient yeah in terms of space and stuff it's kind of like, like, like you know, in the film Alien, they're basically kind of like a big, tra- you know, goods transport ship. And mm. I think there's like six of them or something. Yeah, because all those people <laughs> need beds and they need, you know... You know, that you need energy to like make an atmosphere and qualm pie. Yeah, <laughs> you, know? you need lamps. Lots of leather chairs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot that needs to be taken into account. When your main goal is to transport as much stuff efficiently as possible, you want to have as much room for yeah, stuff. It's like, it's like, I will give them some leeway in that it seems that this is a somewhat dangerous universe with, like, Corsair, like, space pirates in it. So I can understand that you need some kind of a defence force to, you know at least scare off the most basic bitch kind of pirates around. Mm -hmm. But still, maybe, actually, maybe that's why there are so many fucking, uh, so many marines and shit on here, because that's like 90% of the crew. (laughs) Like, the other 10 are the people that actually fly the ship, and like, three of them are the cooks. Everyone else is just marines to fight off pirates. Thank God the cooks are still alive. Thank God. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be chaos in there. But yeah, but yeah, because it's just crazy. Like, because so many people die, then each time he has like a new group of marines on this fucking on this trading ship. <laughs> Every time they're like, ah, oh, and they're all dead. And this time, ah, oh, a new group of marines are helping now. Like, where? Mm-hmm. What are they here for? <laughs> they're a fucking trucking company. <laughs> To what end? <laughs> yeah, and they have scientists too. Why does a trade ship need a scientist? <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> it's and, you know, and they had like ten people that were like uh, that that you know like flew like their shuttles and ships and shits between them, and it's just like. Okay, I guess maybe you need some kind of shuttle, but, you know, there was like 10 or 20 of them that they had flying their fighters when the ship got transformed. It's like, where are they all coming from? 
Like, it's still kind of my head canon that, like, the, that, like, you know, literally, like, their reality and minds were distorted. And, like, when the ship went through the wormhole, it, like, literally, like, created, like, 500 extra people to make, you know, the ship correctly manned for, like, a battleship as opposed yeah. to a trading ship. And it, like, ch- you know, changed their memories. And they just don't realise why it's all fucked up and different now. <laughs> because that would actually, like sort of cover that plot hole a little bit. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> and I also I want to have kind of like a quick rapid fire section where we talk about where we have a quick discussion of our final thoughts on the the main cast of this piece and what we think of them. If that's okay with you. <laughs> yep. Let's go ahead. So, I mean I I guess I guess we'll start we should start big. Our final thoughts on Captain Jack, the man, the myth, the Muppet. <laughs> um, a complete and utter joke of a captain. Yep. And um, just... I I wonder if he's a good trade captain. Like, yeah. Because he's definitely not good at fucking like, combat captainry. Um, yeah, definitely not. Yeah, I was wondering that too, like... You know, was was he actually efficient at at his real job before everything all went tits up? And because I've theorised this before, that this book could actually have been very interesting if it was exploring just how Jack was not made for this and not ready for this. Yeah, and you know, and like dealing with you know the fact that he is in way over his head and making bad decisions because he's the only person there to take command of all of this but he's literally a trade captain yeah he's been put into this situation unexpectedly of being suddenly in charge of a battleship yeah and it could have been some interesting like yeah and it is not unreasonable that jack should fuck all of this up for exactly that reason but you know you get the impression that you're meant to think you know, Jack's doing his best and, you know, isn't making a complete hash of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of get the impression that, you know, the you know, Jack certainly never never dwells on the fact that, you know, he's he's totally ruined everything, really. You know, he has his he has his moments where it's like, oh, people died, I fucked up. Um, occasional moments of clarity where he's like, he immediately regretted his decision of jumping back to save Toner. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's like too many people died rescuing Toner, but he had to. There's sort of like those flashes of clarity, but you kind of, I know, I always got the impression that we were meant to think that, you know, Jack was still behaving reasonably you know like no one else is you know there's no other impetus in the story where someone else is like what the fuck are you doing basically you know Hollister always kind of like backs him up and tries to help him with his plans people that you know would logically want to fuck around with him like you know Tiberius or the Rakari queen they never mock him about how he's totally fucked up everything and how he's like ruined everyone's lives you know you kind of just get the impression that you're meant to accept him as him doing as good a job as is possible when in fact he's horrible at this (laughs) yeah I know exactly what you mean um yeah, just an idiot. Basically, best yeah. summary of him, and worst decision maker ever. Yeah, like, it's like 
the amount of times that he just decides to go back and rescue Tona and get like another 50 of his people killed. And, you know, the whole putting the egg on the ship. Why? Why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's just so... It's it's one of those things where I, you know, I understand, you know, he wants these aliens in the story, so he needs to find a way to put them on the ship, but he doesn't even try and find a rationale it could have been why. like uh, it, it would have been much better if they, while they were mining or something uh, you know unsuspectedly like a bug or whatever the fuck it is crawled into one of the mining carts and yeah made its one, way onto one, the ship one of the elevators going up to the ship yeah they pulled it up on the rope yeah <laughs> something like that but to actually have just them be the one just take the egg yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it's it's just it's just mind-blowing. And the thing is, he even lampshades it. Even in the chapter, he's like, well, you better take it, Toner. I wouldn't want this to hatch on the tranquility. Mm-hmm. It's like, what the fuck? What are, you, what are you doing? You're meant to be in love with her. <laughs> what is this? It's just, it's just mind-boggling. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just... Yeah, as you, as you say, that's a good way to summarise it. He just always makes the worst decisions possible he has no plan to get home you know to begin with they just fly around space randomly they start mining for months and then he just decides to start looking for wormholes which then gets him sent like back 50,000 years into the past it's just yeah you know there's no there's no like thread for his plans. He just keeps throwing shit against the wall to see what'll stick. He's like, "Oh well, mining didn't help us get home, so I guess now let's look for wormholes." Okay, <laughs> yeah. And also, also, I mean, th- this ties into into uh, into Toner, so I won't dwell on it here. But fuck me, the way the way he treats Toner is, as a captain, awful. You know. Yes. <laughs> it's just like. You know he, you know like this uh, this new person on the ship. He he then starts fucking her. He then makes her a captain and basically puts her in a situation where she gets for all for all intents and purposes killed. You know, turned into this horrific Rakari beast. Mm-hmm. It's just wh- why it's just so obviously unprofessional. It's like I you know. You know, there is merit to be had in the fact that Tona's a useful person of the crew, in theory, with her scientific knowledge and, how, and of the warp drive and all of that bollocks. Yeah. But to then extrapolate that this that, that this 19-year-old scientist knows how, you know, knows her physics will then make her good at commanding a ship. Just what are you doing? Should You know, even if he wasn't having a sexual relationship with her, it would have been a fucking weird and bad call. Mm-hmm. The fact he is just makes it look like nepotism. <laughs> you know, just he is just given a you know, he's just like, ah, oh, my red-headed fuck body. She'd enjoy being a captain. Let's give her the ship. Why yep. not Hollister? It should so obviously be Hollister that gets given command of a second ship, if anyone. <laughs> It's not even like they need the ship. The whole mining section yeah, is just that. a bizarre way to get the Rakari into the story. But even so, it should be Hollister. So obviously. <laughs> and the fact that everyone on board seems happy with it is also mind-boggling. She's literally been a member of the crew for like 
three months and she's then suddenly the second most in- powerful person on the ship yeah and she I has mean... and she's like made a joint captain you know she's kind of she kind of gives you know jack gives her this the same authority which is again weird it's just letting her play at being captain because it's obvious that jack's kind of in command of her as well or at least he should be but it's like oh you're a captain too I mean, what does Jack did Jack off screen promote himself to be admiral or something? <laughs> this is now my my fleet. <laughs> yeah, should be fucked, yo. Yeah, I think I've got my thoughts on Jack out. <laughs> yeah, so say how you really feel. I once wrote a very long blog post to this effect when I was like twenty. <laughs> okay, which puts things into perspective with my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good to see you moved on. <laughs> but yeah, and what about the red-headed fuck buddy herself, Tona Shrike? <laughs> um, hmm. Well, we don't actually know much about her, other than that the fact that she's just a young scientist, right? Like in terms of backstory, where she came from, I can't remember to be honest. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think it was anything significant. Maybe it was like a bit of like fluff, like, you know, she was, she, you know, <coughs> she uh, she joined the fleet at the, like the science corps at the early age following in her parents' footsteps or some kind of like boilerplate crap like that. But it's never like deeply explored or anything. It's not that significant to anything. I mean, not to be too woke or anything, but it's kind of dis- like disappointing to have this female potentially strong female character just be turned into like fuck buddy and like yeah it's like she is she is again unironically quite you know objectified she's just like she literally just becomes like you know jack's object to be rest to you know try and rescue and save for a lot of the book yeah like it's quite stereotypical like save the princess type thing <laughs> yeah which is weird because she is in the early part of the book, you know, displayed as quite a strong and competent character. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, oh, she's as smart as Jack and can banter with him. You know, she doesn't need to be rescued from raping. She, I was going to say, she rapes herself. She rescues herself. <laughs> they can't rape you if you rape yourself. <laughs> exactly. Just get ahead of them and rape yourself. Ha, what are you going to do now? Big system. Me exactly. Too. <laughs> but yeah it's but yeah but then it like rapidly changes and then it's just you know constant spates of of, uh, of jack having to basically have horrifically dangerous spates of rescuing toner it's like kind of immediately after that because you know then in the you know after the episode where where the episode after the chapter where <laughs> I'd love for this to be made into like a Netflix series. Lewis should get onto them. I'd love it. <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, after, you know, the attempted rape, like literally the next chapter, you know, they're objectifying her, staring at her in her pants and with slack jaws and, you know, Similar making baldy jokes about it. And then Jack has to, you know, rescue her after, I can only assume, trips over her trousers while trying to escape from the ship. <laughs> You know, and then ever since, and then ever since then, he's always, you know, she keeps getting in peril and rescuing herself. She then kind of gets shown as being in way in over her head. You know, after Jack decides to make her a captain, basically, 
she 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 also proves that she's really not up to it you know the mining goes fine i suppose <laughs> if you can call an enterprise that ends with everyone on the ship dying fine but yeah. <laughs> you know it goes fine they got the minerals but then when the rakari hatches she just shows the worst judgment she you know she uh, she she watches the team go in in perfect formation with amazing puffs fail and get killed and then she decides to open up the door and go in with a gun as well what the actual fuck that's just so stupid why <laughs> and then you know she gets killed every- well she gets turned into rakari everyone in the ship gets transformed jack has to come rescue her i mean and then like somehow they don't <laughs> They don't realise what's gone wrong with her, despite her being in the sick bay all that time, and she turns into a Rakari, and then she basically becomes another character for the rest of the book. Yeah, and there's <laughs> no like, there's no sort of um, glimmers. Of, well, there's one glimmer where we see like her old self shine through a little bit, but there's no, like you said, she basically just becomes a completely separate character. Yeah, and it's like okay, well, and, and that character isn't even worth discussing because it's just so boring and generic yeah. evil. It's just the only noteworthy thing is how much he screams about wanting to harvest his seed. Exactly, <laughs> that's, the, that's the one notable thing about her post Rakari character. <laughs> There's n- that's it's a good point. That whole the Rakari's side of the story and their intentions and like what why they're doing what they're doing is never really explained or explored like they're just generic bad like yeah we're going to take over the universe somehow using your seed you know it's like i would you know it's like i wouldn't i wouldn't claim that you know the imperator or tiberius are deep characters but it's one of those things where you know at least you see the motivations how, how the motivations of you know like a world, you know, a universe-spanning, like, imperial kind of emperor system, you know, and why, you know, they're, they've ended up becoming, you know, draconian and dictatorial. You know, you can kind of, like, fill in the blanks and understand pe- the people's motivations in that, even if they aren't outright stated. Yeah. But with the Rakari, it is just, like, so obviously evil for evil's sake, basically. And if I if I remember correctly, there's, they're quite a... A, uh, they're quite an, an old civilization, I guess you could call them. Like, or like, there, there could be a lot of history basically behind the Rakari. Yeah. You know what was the, what was that temple or whatever the fuck fuck with the egg thing and all that shit. Yeah. Like, like, there's a lot to be explored there. I feel like, and it's just, oh no, they're evil bugs. Yeah. Like, I think it's explained that. Well, not explained that it's implied that the Rakari were actually, you know extant 50,000 years in the past when Tona goes back to them, mm-hmm. goes back through time. You know, she doesn't, like, restart the Rakari. The Rakari are already there, I think. You know, that's kind of reading into it a bit, but that was the impression I got from that part of the book. So, I think, you know, so, yeah, the idea is that, you know, the Rakari was a civilization and it fell, and, like, that egg was, like, the one part of it left. Which, you know, I still reckon that it turns out that Tona's the one that, you know, will be the one that lays the egg there or puts it there. Ooh. You know, and it'll kind of like make a you know, she'll go back into the past, put the egg, then it'll be like, ah, oh, closed time circle loop thing. She's the one that finds it and she's the one that puts it there. That's how I reckon it's that's that whole Rakari Tona plot'll 
flesh out in the third book, but who knows? I mean, even he hasn't finished the third book yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's probably enough quick fire on Tona. Yeah, like I say, there's... Like I say, she, as you say, she's not much of a character. It's mostly like kind of missed opportunities for there to be a better character, and she just kind of, you know, fail, you know, fails, and kind of just becomes Jack's objective rather than, as he keeps claiming, getting everyone home. Mm-hmm. What about the man, the myth, the legend, Hollister? Well, obviously the hero of the book. Yeah, <laughs> literally, and just in my eyes, uh. The one person that makes Jack's, uh, you know, can execute Jack's decisions in a way that isn't totally horrific. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I feel like it was, you know, while as poorly written as this book is, you know, just like the Hollister and Jack relationship is is one of the, the relationships that's explored a little bit enough yeah. that it's that it's something that we can remember. Yeah, Basically. you sort of. Yeah, you're right. You know, you you do. You know, yeah, you buy it. You know, it's part of the book. You know, like, you know, Jack and Hollister do have this sort of work bromance thing going on, and you know, this, you know, and there are some, you know, hilarious quotes out of it. But you know, it it does kind of feel explored and legit, as far as anything in this book does. Yeah. You know, you do get backstory. You know, you have bits of incidental banter between them in chapters, even if it's not always consistent with whether Hollister has a sense of humour or not, <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> yeah, good egg. Yeah, best good egg, egg Hollister. <laughs> he will be missed. Like. It's, like, to be fair, I think we've probably projected more on him than he's actually there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think, definitely. I think the Hollister in our heads is far better than the Hollister in the book. But unlike a lot of the other characters, at the very least, he's likeable and entertaining enough that we want to project all of these good things onto him, you know? <laughs> and, and having said that, I can't... I'm actually... I can't imagine... That another book without Hollister, you know? Like, it's just going to be empty. <laughs> yeah, it's like... Because I think there are... You know, there are so few other people on the tranquility of any kind of notes. It's like there are named people, but they're usually named, like, literally once. Yeah, just like, generic watch officer and like, navigation officer. Yeah, I mean, like... I mean, you know, ever so slight spoiler, in the second book... The person who replaces Hollister, kind of, as his second in command, was mentioned earlier on in this book, but like twice. You know, Jack uh-huh. likes talks to her like twice, and that's it. You know, she doesn't. Is you know, this Amelia? No, that's no, that's Tiberius's work wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's so so, but yeah, but you know, she's not. But at this stage, she's not a character. She is just you know a name and a description, uh-huh. basically. No, how how and how that relationship pans out in book two, I don't know. I still haven't read it, but it's so. But it's like, yeah, it is hard to imagine because you know, basically, the tranquility was crew was basically three people when it came down to it. It was Jack Toner and Hollister. And, Toner's in a nutrient-like uh, liquid. Yeah, and Hollister's dabbing his way to heaven. So. <laughs> And Jack's passed out crying. So <laughs> with his face in a qualm pie. What a crew. Yeah, so it's gonna be so yeah, it's you're right, it is hard to imagine 
what Jack, what it's going to be like without Hollister on board for for Jack to sort of like bounce off of. Mm-hmm. Mm. But yeah, I agree. Good egg. Hollister will be missed. You know, at least at least he went out. You know, saving the day as we knew he would. Even though it it was all, it was all pointless. You know. Every, why did Jack do any of this? Jack did basically get him killed. <laughs> yeah, he definitely could have made it back onto the ship. There was yeah. no reason for him to do that. Yeah, which kind of Maybe, takes away I feel like he wanted to just get away. <laughs> he had yeah. enough. It was part, mostly suicide, actually. Yeah. As he ran slowly, he became himself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He started Freedom. like laughing, like smiling, out of joy of knowing what was about to come. Sweet oblivion. <laughs> yeah. I'm free. Yeah, like there's the thing like would have it's one of those things where I wish we'd gotten more of like the more detail on the funny backstories, but it's probably better we didn't, because they would have been way less entertaining than us imagining what they could have been. I hope he's written in as like a ghost that only Jack can see. <laughs> like, oh, that'd be amazing if he was like a false ghost from Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> Hollis is just there. It's like a f- sitcom or something. Oh, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> like, he just comes up with quips every now and again, and Jack's like... Hey, shut up! And everyone's like, "Who's he what? talking to?" Uh, oh, you, Hollister. He's got the Jack madness again. Yeah, the Hollister madness. Okay, onto onto some of the more minor characters now, but still, I think are worth noting. What 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 about our old friend Elijah Fargus? Way back at the start of the book. <laughs> what a fat ass! Fat ass Fargus. Like, I just can't get over the fact he's ninety eight. You know. Yeah, and it li- you know that's literally say it literally says that he took over the station when he was eighteen and that he's been running the station for eighty years. You know, lad, <laughs> and you know, and he's still you know old enough to you know, stand up and pimp slap Jack and be like running this thing in like the evil universe. <laughs> yeah, um, basically, I, he was a good character because I still remember him, despite the fact you know we were reading his chapters over a year ago. Yeah, but he's still stuck with us. You know, we still can't get over him. He was a- Jack threatening to knock him on his fat ass, and him slapping him with his ring hand. He was certainly a very. Um, he was a very. He stood out. He yeah, was he was very- memorable. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Probably Very because unique. unlike most of the characters, you know, he was actually given more than like a line and then nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, you know, he's, you know, we still think of him fondly even back then. You know, he was, you know, he was quite an avuncular old chap in the good universe, you know, and in the evil universe, it's, I don't know, he was just, he was very entertaining in how pointlessly mad and evil he was. Yeah. And then just like picturing this 98 year old man doing all of it too just makes it better. This 98 year old fat man. <laughs> yeah, I guess the fact that he wasn't, he wasn't as generic as some of the other characters, you know, he was just, he was a character. Yeah. Which made him sort of interesting. So, yeah. Fargus was good. <laughs> Indeed. What about the Imperator? The big um, cheese. <laughs> for such Do- a for for a character which probably should have been more important or like more focused on than he was, like quite well, yeah, exactly. We didn't find out much about him really. Apart from that one chapter with Tiberius having dinner with him. 
There was another um, chapter where he like went back and chatted yeah. to him. Yeah, but basically like he got he's... two chapters. <laughs> yeah, and I guess he got he sort of got overshadowed by the Rakari yeah, bad yeah. guys. Um, but yeah, I feel, I feel like they could have been more explored with him and Tiberius, and just in general, it seemed like he was quite an important part of the universe. Yeah, it feels like he should have been like more of a bad guy, but he wasn't. He was just kind of there, you know. Mm-hmm. He he was the reason. Yeah, it's like he's the reason that Fargus and Tiberius are evil in this world, but it's never really. You don't see much of it from him. Like I still, I remember that we were always taken aback by how nice the Imperator was to Tiberius. Yeah. Despite the fact that Tiberius and Amelia were always talking about, you know, how he was going to kill Tiberius for fucking up and how there'd be, like, heads on pikes outside the Basilica, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he was, you know, he was always quite nice to Tiberius. He, like, you know, he's like, I'll give you another chance kind of thing. Like, you know, if you fuck up again, you know, then you're then you're dead. But, you know, he was quite reasonable to Tiberius's like, incompetence. And he, and he kind of just seem like you know just just an old bloke really sitting there next to his fishing pictures <laughs> I forgot about that <laughs> yeah it's like i know i feel like i feel like they didn't commit to making him like you know we have painted a picture from other characters of this big you know scary figure but instead he's just kind of like this just he's just a guy. He's, he's just he doesn't match up to what you expect the big bad emperor of this evil mm-hmm. universe. He's just far too nondescript, really. I mean, that's it's the worst thing about. It. There's not much notable about him when you actually meet him. Yeah, uh, he summed it up pretty well, to be honest. Mm. What about the the evil doppelganger Tiberius Hunter? Um. I think that's like more interesting of a character than Jack, because um, we got like a bit of backstory as well with him and Amelia and stuff like that. Um, quite weird though, <laughs> to say the least. Like with the cutlery and yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, and his motivations—that's yeah. the biggest problem. That that he just. I don't think he's given enough time and his motivations are too unclear, basically. You know, it's like you flash over to him, like, four times in the book, basically. It's kind of like this subplot going on, but it's not really given enough time to know what's really going on with him. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's it's like an... He's kind of like an interesting concept of, you know, like this evil Jack and, you know, and there's like the start of a plot of, you know, like how he clearly wants to overthrow the Imperator and he's got this weird relationship with uh, with Amelia <laughs> and all that. But it's just never adequately explored. Like, you know, in this chapter, we're just like going, we have no idea why he's done any of this, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, I, I mean, I do like the fact that he's... He's an interesting contrast to Jack in that he's a lot... It's weird because Jack both cares and doesn't care about his crew. Like, one minute he'll freak out about five of them dying, and the next he'll get, like, 30 of them killed trying to rescue Tona, and he won't even think about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but you know, Tiberius, like, draws a very sharp contrast with the fact that he doesn't seem... 
he seems like quite a general ripper. He doesn't really care about his men at all. He's just like, just you know, send more of them. We have reserves, that kind yeah. of thing. Which, I know, I think the way it was handled was kind of gone too far. Like, I think it would have been an interest... Again, this is me thinking about writing a better book. It would have been interesting if Jack was over-attached, remained over-attached and too chummy with his men because he is a trading captain put in the position of a military captain and he gets way too caught up in, you know, saving every person like he tries to do with Toner and then getting more people killed because of it and then being cut up over it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, contrasting it with Tiberius, that's always a military captain, that, you know, that, you know, doesn't like his men to die any more than Jack does, but is kind of, you know, like, above it all enough that, you know, he is willing to send, you know, like, 30 people to die, and he's, like, men- and he's like mentally prepared to have that on his conscience if he mm-hmm. fucks up, you know. You know, that could have been, like, an interesting, you know, dichotomy between their lives and, you know, how they're different in the different universes. But as it is, you know, like... Tiberius is just like in that regard ramped up to the nth degree you know literally sending hundreds of people in to die in a battle and you know drinking wine in the background while this is happening yeah. <laughs> eating cheese with Amelia <laughs> like doesn't he at one point literally make one of his ships like suicide yeah like kamikaze into uh, something yeah he does which you know again could be interesting if done properly because it was the kind of the right call to make you know that was going to hit tiberius's ship and kill hundreds of people mm-hmm. and that was a much smaller ship so you know that's kind of like the hard call that you know a captain might be <laughs> might be called to make in like a space situation you know to sacrifice one of your smaller ships to save more people mm-hmm. but again in this it's just played up entirely you know, him kind of like being a chuckling evil man almost. It's like, oh, you get in the way, immediately like turns off like, whatever, they're dead. You know, not not even, you know, like acknowledging the fact that he sent them to their death almost. <laughs> he just doesn't care. <laughs> but yeah, like Tiberius is another character that, you know, was more interesting than most, but also reeks of a lot of missed opportunity of how he could have been used. Yeah, I'd say we should discuss Amelia, but there's not really much there. She's just like alternate universe Hollister in my in my head canon. Yeah, <laughs> that just basically. likes fucking that just likes fucking with Tiberius, <laughs> which I I thought did make her for her incredibly little screen time surprisingly memorable, but still not much of a character at all. Really, that's kind of my feelings on her. <laughs> I feel like you. Is there any other characters you're going to mention? There was one. Why? I feel like... go Say the character. I was going to say the uh, insurrectionist chief. Who's he again? She. She. And in your book... Oh, I remember this. Curswell something. In your book, it's Raven Curswell, and in my book, it's Devon Sharples. Yep. Interesting. Um, well, I think the fact that I could barely remember who she was tells you a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She was the one that was, like, weirdly sexual towards Jack, right? Yeah. She uh, she she tried to, like, convince him to, like, bec- become her, like, fuck buddy and take over the universe with him after, For like, reasons. a week of knowing him. And after the fact that she thought that people on his ship had, like, betrayed her to the Imperials. It was very weird. Very weird. <laughs> 
So yeah, I, I take it you don't have much to say about her as you can't even remember her. <laughs> Basically, yeah, you're right. I, um, I, I, have a, I have a little bit I want to unpack. <laughs> Basically, kind of her, but mostly like the insurrectionists as a group and how weird that and pointless that whole subplot was. It's like... Why did any of why did anything involving the insurrectionists happen? <laughs> Basically, it's like it makes sense that the you know the insurrectionists exist you know under this tyrannical government you know fight row row fight the power all of that stuff and you know that there will be a force against this you know dictator running things that's fine, but why are they also evil? <laughs> basically <laughs> why did they also why is all the anta- there is no nuances to any of the antagonists in this book mm-hmm. because you know because you know devon sharp uh, you know the commander just for simplicity she shouldn't have been evil it makes a lot of sense that she would be opposed to what jack wants because jack wants to get home and she wants to overthrow the imperator and basically run the universe better even though it's a pa- it's clearly apparent that she is just as if not more insane than the, than the imperator and <laughs> things would probably be worse if she took over but you know that's kind of details and the fact that the insurrectionists exist does kind of add a little bit of flavor to the woefully underexplored like alternate universe they're in yeah so that's kind of fine but it's like why is she also you know just a card-carrying insane villain, you know. She suddenly, you know, starts, you know, trying to capture Jack and the Tranquility. She, like, the first thing she does is, like, punch him in the face for admittedly being an idiot, but still, why punch him in the face when everyone there has guns? Yeah. Nearly gets everyone killed. (laughs) Yeah, and then... Yeah, and then, like, after, you know, Jack escapes, you know, the Imperials close in and totally wrecks their base, she manages to escape with a certain amount of men and then they decide to wait for the tranquility around a wormhole. One, I have no idea how they knew that would be what the tranquility would be doing. Because at the time, the tranquility didn't know that was what they were going to be doing. They went off and went mining for three months. I don't know what they were doing for those three months, just hanging around a wormhole. But okay. <laughs> and they decided that the best thing to do is to attack the tranquility with the last of their strength and this is at the same time where in the chapter where uh, where tiberius talks the, to the imperator we find out that there's like a massive universe-wide insurrection happening right now everyone's rising up and fighting against him she should have been there she should have been leading that jack is not that important to her she shouldn't be he shouldn't be you know it, it kind of sucks for her but you know, he should be gone. She should be like, okay, how am I going to rescue the insurrection? Instead, uh-huh. she goes on this roaring revenge thing, which is just pointless. <laughs> but okay. Like I say, we can't have nuanced villains. They have to be just absolutely insane and evil. Okay, yeah. then. <laughs> and then she literally dies off screen to the Rakari. <laughs> You know, I mean, I mean, I say that we assume she died off screen. The insurrectionist fleet is Tiberius finds and has been destroyed by the Rakari. Mm-hmm. But I suppose it's possible that she's team rocketed and blasted off again into the <laughs> ether, <laughs> and she'll turn up in the next book <laughs> with yeah. one of her names. <laughs> I think, unfortunately, you've missed one of my favourite characters of the book. Oh, <laughs> which is the prospector. Oh, of course. <laughs> 
<laughs> How can we forget him? I think, again, that's a case where we've projected a lot onto the character yeah. that isn't... I was actually really. skimming through it to try and find his name, but I think he's only references the chief. <laughs> but to us, he's Prospector Bill. Or something like that. Yep. With his pickaxe. <laughs> yep. Yeah, with like a single tooth, a miner's yeah. lamp on his head. <laughs> it's like somehow everyone else is wearing like spacesuits, but he's got just like a cowboy hat on. <laughs> somehow. <laughs> and he's got a cat, like a Western a accent. Man. Like, yeah. <laughs> gold. <laughs> We're not even trying to mine gold. What are you doing? <laughs> he's just got one of those like sifting things. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just panning yeah. like in lava he That's just puts it, it in and it comes out with a hole in the bottom <laughs> ah. <laughs> This river water's mighty fierce. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking magma. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he was he was great. He was he, he was a treasure. It's a shame he died on that planet, but he died doing what he loved, mining. <laughs> I like the fact that they just left him there in our heads, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any... Pro- All logic dictates that he went back up with, you know, the egg and everything else. To Actually, we don't actually know, because I think the idea was that there were always people on the planet, mm-hmm. while there were people up on the ship, you know, like running tests and keeping shit going. And, you know, and that's when the egg hatched. Mm-hmm. So I guess it is actually, you know probably backed up that they that jack literally just blew up the ship and left like 30 people down on that planet to die i wonder when they're coming back <laughs> like don't worry i got my tuck box it'll keep us going for days he's like uh chewing on tobacco <laughs> yeah he's got a little spittoon it's like yeah. Ding. <laughs> truly the best character <laughs> entirely created by our imagination Yep, and he's our favourite. <laughs> I mean, just like briefly thinking about other characters that are worth mentioning at all. Uh, we had the prisoners. Yeah, yeah. They were sort of that guy that fucking headbutted the uh, the pris the prison like bars, <laughs> yeah. and, like annihilated himself. I totally forgotten about that. It's like it's just a pile of dust because yeah. he headbutted the prison wall. <laughs> absolute mad lad (laughs) I'd like to think if there were like credits to this like it comes up on the screen like you know Jack went on to do this like one of them is just like a pile of dust (laughs) the prisoners left on deep space traded voyage station 58 all committed mass suicide by running headfirst into the gate (laughs) or you know how on like some things or some like old sitcoms or whatever or films it'd be like the credits would be like and featuring this character this actor <laughs> just is a like pile this. of dust yeah <laughs> it, like and featuring as dust the prisoner that tried to <laughs> to ram the door with his head <laughs> it's like some really famous star that you've never like everyone's heard of played the dust Keanu Reeves <laughs> yeah as du- as pile of dust <laughs> He got no Keanu lines Reeves or anything. Would be perfect for that role. But they hired him, and like he's on the call sheet. But he did he's nothing. Like, Why am I here? That's like, don't worry, Keanu. We've got your stunt double. They just like pour out some washing powder yeah. onto the floor. Um, oh dear. But yeah, I can't think of. Well, actually, Queen Vil- Vilzena. Yeah. Did we talk about well, her? We we briefly mentioned the Rakari, but not really. I, yeah. I mean, she so... kind of. 
She's just an ominous voice for most of it. Yeah, and like she appears and just in person when they go down to the planet, and but she just does nothing. She just sits there and yells at them while flicking her alien bean, <laughs> while Jack and Toner are beating the shit out of each other and making out at the same time. <laughs> I wish that was made up. <laughs> Somehow it's not. <laughs> Somehow that's entirely accurate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. But yeah, it's like, and it's, yeah, just, I know, she kind of subs in for the Rakari as a whole, which is just such a big, inconsistent thing. You know, they're so, inc- their motivations are so one-dimensional. It's like, and the weird thing is, they're so one-dimensional and yet human one-dimensional. It's not like a big, unknowable, you know, mm-hmm. space alien just trying to eat the universe for, you know, reasons because they're like locusts or they're, or they've yeah. got some other reason we just can't comprehend. You know, she's like literally there, like you know, laughing like an evil think, person. Oh, we'll take over the universe. Yeah, I think that's one thing we mentioned. Uh, uh, a few times is that the Rakari are like these sort of bug-like creatures, but then the characters that we have to deal with are given like human traits, so that they're like easier to write for, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's like which is you know, it, like a lot of people. The thing is, I don't know a lot of people do do that. Like there are sort of it's sort of not unreasonable that they're just like they're controlling all of these. Th- all of these other little ones but you know the big important ones have a personality i mean i guess that's fine but i just think it's so poorly executed you know even even if you're willing to give them that the personalities and the motivations are just still so one-dimensional and boring basically Mm -hmm. there's just nothing there you know they basically just turn up and just you know after the after the Rakari turn up, they just dominate the story, and I do think that the story gets massively worse after they turn up. Basically, yeah. I mean, like, don't get me wrong, this was never Shakespeare, but you know, I thought that there was some interest and stuff going on in exploring like this evil version of the universe and the Imperator versus the Imperium, Jack meeting his double. But then that all kind of just gets fucked up when they find the Rakari and it just turns into like an action bug hunt because, Uh you know, the Rakari have no real motivation other than to just eat and destroy everything. Even... You know, the the Queen says stuff like, Oh, we're going to take over the universe but you know, it's basically <laughs> the same as eat and destroy everything yeah. as far as our characters are concerned, you know. <laughs> she she voices it in a more human way, but it doesn't affect the fact they're eating the universe. <laughs> but yeah, then it just takes over the story and it turns into just this big kind of action thing, you know. And it's the same action, like we were saying, it's all just, you know, drops in, uh, you know, like strike forces in to rescue someone, retreat back to the ship, usually after not successfully rescuing them. Mm-hmm. And then that, that is like pretty much the rest of the book. And then space battles. And it's all, it just turns the book into badly written action for the most part. And you yep. can kind of tell that the author's getting sick of writing the action too, because so much of it just gets kind of passed over. <laughs> yeah, or summarised in like one paragraph. Yeah. But yeah, like, like I say, the, the Rakari, I I just don't think they should have been part of the book, basically. I think that this book should have been, you know, about about the 
him in this alternate universe dealing with the Imperials and in the insurrectionists and seeing how that all goes. Like maybe the Rakari could have been something in like the next book, but I just think he just he tried to just push everything into this book. And because of it, none of it feels adequately explored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? It's just like I just look at the Rakari and it's just like I say if they just left it as like you know the first Rakari thing where it takes over the Vortman and kills everyone, but then they you know kill it and blow it up, that would have just been like a pointless you know side few chapters. You know it would be like oh those three chapters didn't really accomplish anything, but whatever. But then they just take over the story. They travel back in time, which just throws everything. Which just as I say, that's where the story really jumps the shark, and everything just gets insane <laughs> and doesn't and stops making any kind of sense. It's just they totally derail the story after they're put in. But I just think the author was in love with the idea of them, so thought he'd put them in the book, but didn't realize that it's kind of entirely destroyed the plot that had been leading up to it, basically. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the Rakari, not the Rakari and Queen Vilzina, and I guess by extension Tona, they're not so much characters as a just a plot device and not a well executed one, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Is there any more characters? I can't think of any. No. I none, think none of note. That's it. Yeah. Okay. This is going. This has gone on longer than I was expecting. But there's just one final thing, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to be take long on any of these because God knows I have talked about them in length in the episodes. But I just want, you know, like basically my final list of things that that just make no fucking sense in the story, basically. One, the ship transforming into a warship. Never explained what the hell is going on. What is any of this? What? Why? It's like the the thing that the entire story is based around, but we have no idea about the mechanism. Yeah. Just and it doesn't happen any of the other times they use the warp drive. Mm-hmm. I li- and it happens in like the second chapter basically. I don't understand why he didn't just start on a warship, especially as like we say they never ex- really explore the problems of the fact that he's n- that he's just a trading captain. They mention it a couple of times, but they don't explore it or do anything with it. So it's just it just adds questions that I don't think will ever be answered. Related, how the warp drive works. Never explained. We still don't know if uh, how faster than light travel happens in this universe. It has to exist, in which case I don't know what the point of the warp drive even is. But it, apparently it lets them travel through wormholes, even though... They're shocked that it helps them escape through the wormhole at the start of the first chapter. Nothing about it is explained or makes any sense. <laughs> Comments on the warp drive? <laughs> uh, <laughs> makes no. no sense. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the next two are kind of related and have been beaten to death. So the inconsistency between both the Tranquility's power and the Rakari's power. Both of them are just all over the place. You'll have the tranquility getting wrecked. Then it'll literally destroy everything in the screen with no effort. Then it'll be totally, you know, then the next chapter will be like, oh, it's on its last legs. It can't do anything. And then it's like 99% power. Everything's dead. What the fuck? Consistency. None. And it's the same with the Rakari. When you first meet them, you know, the baby's killing nine people. The first one they meet's like nine feet long, and it takes them like an entire clip of five people to down one. 
by the end of it, they're like killing them with knives and like fighting off hundreds of them. The fuck happened? I don't know. It's just so silly. And lastly, I mentioned it a minute ago, but it's the big one. The time travel. Just introducing time travel was the single worst idea that he made in designing the story. He just should not have. You know, like I say, you could have even had the Rakari, but don't put in the time travel because that just adds so many fucking problems to everything. It's it's inconsistent in how it works. You know, the amount of time of people going back and forth changes every time. The, the logistics of it aren't explained. Why does this one wormhole send them back in time when the others didn't? It's just, it was an awful idea. Should have cut it. Should have, should have, you know, just written the first two chapters after doing it and gone, this doesn't work, scrapped them. And had our, and made new plans for the rest of the book, but it is what it is. We've got time travel now, and now nothing matters. <laughs> and yeah, those are those are those are the ones that stuck out to me when I was thinking back through the story of the things that just I complained about like every week, basically for the last year. <laughs> now you can finally rest in peace. Yeah, I can put this to bed. I can finally you know let myself slide into oblivion happy at a job well done i think we've we've put this series well and truly to rights louis we certainly have (laughs) do you have i know do you have any closing thoughts on the edifice as a whole um just that i'm tired (laughs) i'm tired of reading this book and thankfully it's over (laughs) like there's only so many Rikari chases I can read, and there were rescue attempts failed, <laughs> and terrible. After, you know, to start with, the grammatical errors and stuff were amusing, but they just become so like part of it. I almost expect yeah. them. Yeah, you, you, you almost, you almost stop and you almost stop noticing them except for like the very worst ones that you know like i say literally like change the meaning of a sentence from what it's supposed to because they're so bad but like there's so many now that we like don't even really mention or notice because they're just everywhere <laughs> the spelling mistakes grammatical errors weird capitalizations they're just uh, it's just in such dire need of an editor yeah i'm a uh... I'm I'm curious to see whether the second book will be even more boring than this one. <laughs> uh if possible. Yeah, I think that's I do think that's right actually. That's something that we overlook because we do get so into the weeds of complaining about the weird stupid things that happen. But this is a really dull book for most for the most part. <laughs> Surprise, you know, it's like when you list it out, it sounds like a lot happens, like at the start, but not, you know, so much of it just isn't very interesting. It's like, it's you know, the action part is summarised in a in a sentence, and the boring part is expounded on for pages. It's just, it's just, I know, it's not very compelling. I think we make it actually sound more entertaining than it is when we talk about it. <laughs> But maybe I'm, you know, doing myself up too much there. <laughs> I mean, I suppose, as a kind of a final statement, I'll be fair, it's it's not easy writing a book. This did take him a long time, clearly. I mean, I have not written a book. 
Uh, you know, I ought to give him that. He's, you know, he must have sat, he must have sat there, been sitting around for like writing this for a, for a year or so, and you know, he did, you know, he, he did it. He was happy with it. He did publish it. He's released a, he's released a second one. I mean, you know, it's it's not a good book. I'm not going to patronize him, but I mean. He did. He did sit down, and he achieved what he wanted to achieve. He did have the. He had the wherewithal to, you know, sit down and see this book through. I think it's a shame that he didn't, you know, spend more time in editing it, getting people to read it and critique it, and you know, refining it into something that is better for more than a big joke like we see it. You know, I, I can see why he might not be happy with that, but. Well, you know, we make mock a lot because that was the point of this podcast. But, you know, I think most of what we've said has been legitimate criticism when you get past the joke. You know, there are things that he should be trying to learn from this experience. You know, he should he should be using this to learn, move on. I kind of think that he should kind of just leave the trilogy. I can't I'm interested to read it, but I can't and I hope that he does finish it, but I can't imagine that the second and third books are going to be significantly better. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. But I do think that the first book is such a clusterfuck. He would have just been better going. You know what, I was 19, I wrote this. I was happy with it at the time, but I've grown up a lot and I want to, you know, write new and different things basically. So you know, I hope that for all that we've for all that we've said and made mock that he's learnt from this and he's going to be, you know, using what he's learnt to write better stories in the future. It's just, I I, I just can't imagine it. But I'm happy to be proven wrong, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think that's it, Louis. Yep. This is two absolute bookends, and we truly have bookended this masterpiece. We certainly have. <laughs> Yeah, like I say, this is this is the end of season one of Two Absolute Bookends. I uh, I mean, I don't think we're going to be uploading for a while, but especially because I have other podcast ideas that I want to try. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> if this wasn't great enough, it's well, I've said it before, Louis. I actually think that that the other one might actually make for compelling listening, <laughs> whereas who the fuck is actually going to search for this? <laughs> We did it to we did it to salve my sick mind and because it was funny. <laughs> but you know, don't say that it's over. Not only is there another The Way the Stars Fall book, but there are so many really bad books out there and bad fan fictions. Sonic High School and The Eye of Argon were an awful lot of fun as well. <laughs> they were. You know, I they really were... liked The Eye of Argon. The Eye of Argon was fantastic. Unfortunately, Sonic High School went on for too long, much like this book, but with less, you know, obvious, descriptive sex. (laughs) But yeah, like the first two episodes of Sonic High School was fun. The rest were a bit of a chore. (laughs) They had amazing moments, but they were painful. They were just so long and awful. (laughs) Ah. That crocodile sex nightmare. (laughs) So, as ever, keep an eye on our social medias. You'll be sure to find out whatever we're doing next. And no matter how hard Louis tries to escape, I'll make him do something. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, for now, we've been Two Absolute Bookends, signing out. 
See ya. See ya.